dedicated to suspense and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love scary old-time radio stories. There's nothing quite like a disembodied voice telling a genuinely disturbing tale. But do these stories stand the test of time, or are we being deceived by nostalgia? Are they suspenseful or forgettable, bone-chilling or butt-numbing? That's what we're here to find out. This week, I chose a shroud for Sarah from radio's outstanding theater of thrills, Suspense. Suspense aired on CBS from 1942 to 1962, racking up 947 episodes in total, most of which still exist today. Suspense specialized in edge-of-your-seat crime stories, occasionally surprising audiences with a supernatural tale or even science fiction. No matter what the genre, though, Suspense stories always ended with an unexpected shock or twist. The show's smart scripts and high production values attracted A-list Hollywood actors, many of whom appeared not just once, but over and over again throughout the program's 20-year history. One such star was Lucille Ball. In the 1940s, Lucille Ball was known as the Queen of B-Movies, starring in films like Marines Fly High, A Girl, A Guy, and A Gob, the Dark Corner, and Dance Girl Dance, where she met her future husband, Desi Arnaz. In 1948, Lucy landed the role of wacky housewife Liz Cooper in CBS Radio's My Favorite Husband, a comedy series that would become the template for Lucy and Desi's groundbreaking television sitcom, I Love Lucy. Between 1944 and 1951, Lucy appeared in six different suspense stories, including two with Desi Arnaz. Tonight's story was originally broadcast October 25, 1945, and features a distinctly unzany performance from the future queen of comedy. Listeners, please enjoy Lucille Ball in A Shroud for Sarah. Forget the petty distractions around you. Forget what you think you know. Forget everything but what you hear right now. It's late at night and a chill has set in. You're alone, and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker. Listen to the music, and listen to the voices. Now, the Roma Wine Company of Fresno, California presents... bring you A Shroud for Sarah, starring Miss Lucille Ball, soon to be seen in Metro-Golden-Mayer's Technicolor musical, Ziegfeld Folly. Suspense, radio's outstanding theater of thrills, presented for your enjoyment by Roma Wines. That's R-O-M-A, Roma Wines. Those excellent California wines that can add so much pleasantness to the way you live, to your happiness and entertaining guests, to your enjoyment of everyday meals. Yes, right now a glass full would be very pleasant as Roma Wines bring you Miss Lucille Ball in a remarkable tale of suspense. Oh, Sarah? Sarah? Come in, George. How did it go, darling? 
George, you're trembling. Something went wrong. No, nothing went wrong. You got it then? Yeah, I got it. Stuffed in all my pockets. You know, dump it out the bed. Here. Here you are, Sarah. Seventeen grand. Seventeen thousand? It's more than we expected. Yeah. George, you're acting queerly. Did everything work out all right? Sure. Sure it did. It was duck soup, just like old times, Sarah. Remember how every job clicked? Sure fire when we used to plan them together. George. Yeah? You're lying, aren't you? Sarah, you... You really love me, don't you? You have to ask. Would I have come back otherwise? Ten years is a long time. I thought you'd be changed. I never thought you'd come back like this out of nowhere. I don't even know what you've been doing, where you've been living, what name you're using. You haven't told me a thing about yourself. I will, George. I will as soon as we get out of this apartment. As soon as we're really together, darling. That's the way you want it, isn't it, Sarah? Of course. Why do you think I never got a divorce? I didn't, you know. I didn't even consider it. No, no, you didn't. And you could have. You certainly had a right with me up for five years on a felony. I'm glad you waited, Sarah. You won't regret it. I'm sure I won't, George. But let's not talk about that now. We have a train to make. You know, Sarah, you're as good to look at as you were ten years ago. Oh, you're just making talk, George. And you haven't answered my question. I want to know what went wrong. I've given up hope, Sarah. I didn't expect to see you again. But I came back. I've done two stretches, Sarah. Nine years in jail out of ten. I wouldn't have pulled another job if you hadn't shown up. You won't go away again, will you? Only with you, George. Sarah. The scent of your hair. I used to dream of it. Those long nights in jail. Now it's real. Holding you like this. With your hair on my face. George, you're hurting me. Your arms. I'm sorry. Just that I'm so afraid it isn't true having you again. I want to hold you tight forever. George, what happened? What went wrong? Sarah, I had to kill a man. Well, have you got anything to say? Only the obvious. It's murder, then. That changes my plans. Your plans? My, my plans for us. You're going to stick with me, aren't you? Of course. I didn't come back after ten years, only to run right out again. We must think this out carefully. Are you sure you left no clues? Only the gun. I wiped it off clean and left it there. It's a gun I picked up years ago. No way to tack it on me. Fingerprints? Gloves. Then there's nothing to worry about. Only if they happen to pick me up on suspicion. I see. Uh, are they after you now, George? Of course not. Nobody heard the shot. There was nobody in the building but that bald-headed bookkeeper. He hadn't gone home. Must have stayed to get his books in shape for the morning. My luck. And you weren't followed or, or chased. You don't think I'd have come here if they were after me? I'm sorry, George. I know you wouldn't. You're not sorry at me, then? We can go ahead just as we plan. Our train leaves in an hour. We'll pick up the tickets at the station. Sarah, it's hard to believe in an hour we'll be on the way to Florida, you and I. Yes, George. Just the two of us. In the warm sun. It's a dream I've had for ten years in and out of jail. I figured it would always be a dream. You know, it's funny. What's funny? There's a bald-headed man lying dead over there at the finance company. He's finished. And we're just beginning. I never killed a man, Sarah. Never before. You do all right from now on, George. You forget about that thing. I'll help you forget it. Yeah. But we've got to hurry now. Put your hat on. Now go over and pick up the tickets. Well, I thought we'd go to the station together. Well, silly, I've got to dress. Yeah, well, the Sunset Limited leaves at 8 o'clock. There's only an hour. I know, I know. I'll dress and pack and meet you in 30 minutes at the train gate. Have you any money? Here, take some of this. I'll put the rest in the valise and bring it in a cab so so it won't be found on you if anything happens. Why didn't you come back before, Sarah? I didn't realize it till this minute. 
been like an orphan for ten years. Kiss me. Now, that's all, George. You've got to hurry now. Yeah. Remember, the Sunset Limited at the gate. I'll remember. And don't forget to clean out the desk. I'll take care of everything, George. Now, hurry. Police headquarters? A man was killed a few minutes ago at the Vanda Finance Company on Dexter Avenue. Please don't interrupt. If you go to the LaSalle station, you'll catch the murderer at the Sunset Limited train gate. His name is Monk. George Monk. For suspense, Roma Wines are bringing you a star, Miss Lucille Ball, in a shroud for Sarah by Emil C. Tepperman. Roma Wine's presentation tonight in radio's outstanding theater of thrills, Suspense. Between the acts of Suspense, this is Truman Bradley for Roma Wines. Saturday is Navy Day. On this day, all America gives honor to the returning veterans of the fleet. To these men, all America lifts its voice to say... Well done. This weekend, too, millions of Americans will be entertaining family and friends. To them, here's a hospitality word from famed hostess Elsa Maxwell. My guests compliment me when I make delicious Roma California sherry first call for dinner. It's the perfect appetizer before the meal, served cool. Yes, Miss Maxwell, Roma sherry is most delightful later in the evening, too, when friends drop in especially when served with tasty snacks. For glorious gold and amber, Roma Sherry is a happy, mellow wine with natural fragrance and cream-rich, nut-like taste. So good because Roma Sherry, like all Roma wines, is born of luscious grapes gathered at peak of flavor in California's choicest vineyards. Gently pressed, then unhurriedly, Guided to delicious perfection by Roma's ancient winemaking skill. Bottled at Roma's own famed wineries. That's why all Roma wines are true wines. Unvaryingly good always. Remember, because of uniformly fine quality at reasonable cost, more Americans enjoy Roma than any other wine. Insist on Roma. R-O-M-A. Roma Wines. And now, Roma Wines bring back to our Hollywood soundstage Lucille Ball as Sarah Martell in A Shroud for Sarah, a play well calculated to keep you in suspense. Coming. I'm coming. Oh, I knew it was you, Sarah. Only you would ring so insistently when you know I'm handicapped by this infernal crutch. Good evening, Peter. How's our next governor? Aren't you going to kiss me? I've been away three days. Uh, Is it necessary, my dear? Peter, are you going to let the neighbors see me standing out here with this police? Kiss me, you idiot. You can stand it if I can. Uh, Very well. Satisfied, my dear? Now that we've performed for the neighbors, shall we go in? Of 
I see you've moved the radio again. I moved it nearer the easy chair. This crutch makes it hard for me to get around. I hope you don't mind, my dear. I mean, it's being more convenient for me. Is that the news? I want to hear it. Police are seeking George Monk, an ex-convict who shot and killed a finance company bookkeeper and escaped with $17,000 in cash. What do you want to turn that up for? Nothing but a surprise. Oh, shut up. Shot without warning. But there's a mystery angle here which sets this case apart from the ordinary holdup. Police are seeking an unidentified woman who tipped them off a few minutes after the murder, naming George Monk and telling them just where he could be picked up. Unfortunately, one of the officers sent to apprehend the murder was recognized by Monk, who made his escape in the crowded railroad station. What's the matter, my dear? Why did you turn the radio off? You look as if you'd seen a ghost. Leave me alone, Peter. Well, well, what sort of villainy were you up to in Chicago? Sarah, come back here. Where are you going? I'm going up to my room. I want to unpack. Good night, Peter. Burglary in Chicago mysterious woman who tipped off the police. Just a moment, Sarah. I said good night, Peter. $17,000. Sarah, I want to know what's in that valise. Why are you hanging on to it like that? Stay where you are, Peter. Don't come up these stairs. What's wrong? Are you afraid to let me see what's in that valise? No, no, I'm not afraid. Just don't come up any closer. (sighs) Well, well, that same little pistol of yours. Would you shoot me with it again, my dear? If you come a step further... Drop the gun. You're not going to shoot me now, just before election. You want to be the governor's lady, don't you? Stand still, Peter. I'm sorry, Sarah. I've got to know what's in there. Take another step, I'll shoot. You're a fool, Sarah. Clever and ruthless, yes, but nevertheless a fool. Look at all the terrible things you've done to satisfy your ambition. Even murder now. And it's all been a waste of time. What do you mean? Did you know that the results of the popular poll were published today? Well? It gives Stephen Archer a 15% edge over me. And not only that, but the incumbent governor, the man we're both trying to beat, ran ahead of the two of us in the poll. You're not lying about that? Of course not, my dear. How did you expect to beat Stephen Archer and his money? We're broke. No, Peter, we're not broke. Oh? You mean you have $17,000 in that bag? I'm going to be the governor's wife, I tell you. There's nothing that could stop me. Nothing. I believe you, Sarah. Why, I believe you. you'd even murder Archer if you had to. Let me have that police. You can't seem to understand, Peter. You're not going to open it. Then shoot me, my dear. You do it so well. It comes so natural to you. Maybe you can shoot me in the other leg this time. Oh, will you never stop throwing it up to me? That was an accident. A very fortunate accident, wasn't it, Sarah? Just when I was ready to accept a commission in the army... You didn't want to be the wife of an army captain. Your ambition ran higher than that. You wanted to be the governor's lady. Now, Sarah, I'm going to see what you have there. And you're not going to do anything about it. Get away from me, Peter! No, Sarah, you're going to give them to me. First the gun. And now that black... Sarah, Sarah, don't the stairs! into the bedroom, Doctor. Peter fell again and hurt his leg in the same place. Now, look here, Mrs. Martell. What's the use of keeping up this deception between ourselves? You know and I know that your husband didn't fall the last time. That was a bullet wound in his leg. Dr. Varney, you promised never to mention that bullet wound. And you promised to pay me, remember? $10,000. Where's the money? Don't worry. I have it. Oh, well, that's, that's different. Where is it? I'll take it now. Later. Please go in now and take care of Peter. Uh, did you, uh... 
Did you shoot him again? Of course not. That was an accident the last time. I was examining the pistol and it went off. Yes, of course. That's the story, Mrs. Martell. And for $10,000, I'll gladly subscribe to it. But I must have that money. I need it. I won't touch that leg till I get the money. All right. I have it here. Well, there. That's $10,000. Hmm. Now hurry in there and take care of Peter. Afterwards, I'll want to see you in here. There may be another matter that I want you to handle for me. Yes, that's 10000 uh, Another matter? You are also the physician for Stephen Archer, aren't you? Uh, yes. You've been attending him every day during the campaign. I understand his heart needs attention. Look here, Mrs. Martell. Stephen Archer's running against your husband for governor. I wonder when you originally called me in, did you know I was Archer's physician? Could be. Huh. Well, I'm sorry I can't discuss Archer with you. The ethics of your profession. Please, Dr. Varney. If your fellow practitioners knew what I know about you, you wouldn't have any p- profession. I won't listen to any more from you. I'll take care of that leg of your husband's, but more than that, no. Oh, but I'm sure you'll change your mind, Doctor. Whatever your proposition is, the answer is no. Even if I were to offer 50000 There, now, I knew you'd be interested. Now, run inside like a nice fellow and tend to Peter. I'll go out for a few minutes, but please wait for me. There's an appointment I must keep. I won't be long. Martell, park is rather a dark place to meet, isn't it? I thought it would be best this <laughs> Great deal of money? Hmm. Just what is your proposition? You're a wealthy man. Would $100,000 be too much to pay for the governorship? 100000 I've spent several times that much on the campaign already. But I don't see how you could deliver the election. Listen to me closely, Mr. Archer. Yeah? I learned that in yesterday's poll figures, you ran 15% ahead of my husband. That's quite true. And neither you or Peter will win. You're both taking strength from each other. And the governor will be reelected. So your solution is for Peter Martell to withdraw at the price of $100,000. Exactly. If one of you withdraws, the other will surely win. That's absolutely true. But I happen to know that Peter Martell would never make such a deal. No, he wouldn't, the fool. But for $100,000, I will put him out of the race. You? Would you believe it if I told you I hated that man's very shadow? I, uh, have heard rumors here and there. I want to leave him. I want to be rid of him forever. Where could I go without money? What could I do? He's so disgustingly honest that we're always broke. He couldn't even pay me enough alimony. I've got to think for myself. I begin to see... Now, suppose that tomorrow, two days before the election, I were to file suit for divorce. Ah. I could leave for Reno tonight. It would be in every newspaper tomorrow. <laughs> it would certainly eliminate your husband. You'd pick up all the votes Peter would lose. Enough to swing the election. And your price is $100,000. You agree? I'd be a fool not to. Of course I agree. The moment you file your divorce papers in Reno, I'll have $100,000 credited to your account wherever you specify. No, I must have it in advance. No, my dear Mrs. Martell. In advance? It's out of the question. How do I know you'll go through with it after I pay you? And how do I know you'll pay me after I go through with it? Don't you trust me? Do I have to answer that? Uh, it looks like a deadlock. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll take half now and the other half in Reno after I've filed the papers. 50000 tonight, eh? It must be tonight. I'll leave in the midnight plane. Surely you have the cash available in a campaign like this. Yes, of course I have the cash. That seems to be the only solution. It's a deal, Mrs. Martell. You'll get the money now? At once. Wait here. My home is just across the park. I'll be back in five minutes. But just as a precaution... I'm going to note down the serial numbers of the bills I give you. If you aren't in Reno tomorrow morning, I shall report the money stolen. Don't worry, Mr. Archer. I promise you. After tonight, there won't be anything to worry about. 
Still waiting for me, I see, Dr. Varney. Well, it took a long time. I was just deciding to leave. You took care of Peter all right? Yes, the wound opened up again. It was painful, but not as bad as it looked. He'll be up again by tomorrow. Thank you, Doctor. Oh, you uh, said you wanted to talk to me. Yes, I have a little proposition for you. You uh, you mentioned $50,000. Yes. Yes, I have the money in my handbag. Here. One. Take it. <clears throat> now count it. Uh, yes. Yes. Um, what, uh, what do you want me to do? Doctor, have you ever murdered anyone? What? I said, have you ever murdered anyone? Why, you're joking. You'd hardly call murder a joke. What are you suggesting? You are Stephen Archer's physician. You stop at his home every night and check his heart. And you give him a sedative. No, no, I'm, I'm going out of this house, Mrs. Martell, and I'm never coming back. Before you go, doctor, I'll take that money back. Uh, why, uh... $50,000, doctor. Mm. It's a lot of money. Yes, uh... I know just how deep you are in the red. 50000 will put you on your feet again. Well, I... It's, and uh, you'll have the friendship of the wife of the next governor. You, uh... You want me to give Archer an overdose of sedative, huh? I knew you'd be reasonable, Barney. I see you're at the radio already. Aren't you up early today? I thought all the Borgias slept late. I wanted to hear the news. Indeed. Could it be a person by the name of George Monk that you're so anxious to hear about? What do you mean? Why do you mention that name? The black valise, my dear. Remember, I'm still anxious to know if it contains $17,000. Have you taken the newspaper in yet? No? Well, I'll get it. There'll be something in this morning's paper that I'd like you to see, my dear. Stephen Archer, candidate in the three-cornered race for governor, was found dead in his bed, apparently from an overdose of sedative. All indications point to accidental death, except for the fact that a large sum of money was missing from the safe. However, if the money was stolen, it'll do the thief no good, for the serial numbers were carefully noted down on the desk pad on Mr. Archer's desk. What was that? Archer dead? Yes. Sarah. I read the signs of your fine Italian hand. Did you have a hand in it? Peter. So now Archer's votes will drop in my lap, huh? You'll be governor, Peter. Sarah, I think I'm going to kill you. Put that crutch down. No, no, my dear, you needn't run away. I was just rehearsing. I'm not ready to kill you yet. Perhaps someone else will do it first. I'm going to wait for the result of my experiment. Experiment? What do you mean? See, here. What? What is it, Peter? Just an ad in the personal column. I had it inserted in every newspaper between here and Chicago. Let me see that. It's the first ad in the column with the display space around it. I wanted to make sure it was seen by the right person. Read it, Sarah. Read it. All right. If it makes you happy, I will read it. George. Was her name Sarah? Or did she use another name? I mean the one who left with the little black valise and all the money in it. If you have at least 17,000 reasons to find her, and if the traveling isn't too difficult under the circumstances, I suggest you come to Capital City 
The address is... Peter, you didn't! Ah, isn't it cleverly worded, my dear? I had to phrase it so that only George Monk and no one else would catch its meaning. You, you put this ad in all the papers? Exactly. You see, my dear, if that little black valise did not contain $17,000, you have nothing to fear. But if it did, well, then I may be spared the chore of killing you. <laughs> I- I'll let George do it. Hello? Mrs. Martell? Who, who is this? Dr. Varney. Oh, I thought... Never mind. What do you want, Barney? Don't you know? I think you're pretty clever, don't you? What do you mean? That was Archer's own money you gave me last night. That 50000 Barney, are you insane? Don't you realize you're talking over an open phone? I only realize I murdered Archer for you for nothing. That 50000 I can't use. The serial numbers have been broadcast. My dear Barney, I haven't the faintest notion what you're talking oh, about. How clever you are, Sarah Martell. How clever. And how dangerous. Yes, too dangerous to live. <laughs> The medical examiner's all through with the body, Inspector. All right, O'Connor, all right. Then I guess we're finished, too. Tell Mike to be careful with the body. And uh, put down in your report, dead on arrival, murdered by person or persons unknown. I'll sign it when I get downtown. Ah, she was a beautiful woman, O'Connor. It's a tough way to die. A tough way indeed, Inspector. Uh, how's Mr. Martell taking it? Like a trooper, sir. Here he comes now with his doctor. Hmm? All right, O'Connor, I'll, I'll see you downtown. Yes, sir. Goodbye, Inspector. Are uh, you pretty near through, Inspector? Yes, Mr. Martell, the boys are taking the body away now. Uh, may I say, Mr. Martell, that you have my deepest sympathy in this bereavement of yours. Thank you, Inspector. Oh, by the way, do you know Dr. Varney? Oh, how do you do, Doctor? How do you do? A ghastly business, Inspector. Yes, indeed, and we'll do everything in our power to lay that murderer by the heels. Uh, Inspector. Yes, Dr. Varney? Have you uh, any clues, anything uh, definite to go on? Well... If you don't mind my talking about it now, Mr. Martell. Oh, it's all right, Inspector. I'm afraid I'm going to have to listen to a good deal of talking about it. Might as well get used to it. A very wise and courageous way to look at it, Mr. Martell. Well, as I was saying, I believe it was a maniac. That's my firm conviction. A maniac? Right. Who but a maniac would have stayed in there to torment that poor dead body? Can you imagine a sane man first choking her to death with his hands? Then stabbing her with some keen instrument? Then bashing her head in with a blunt instrument? That was quite an ordeal. It was terrible. Um, Varney. Yes? You hated her very much, didn't you? No more than you did, Mr. Martell. I won't deny it. It's true. You haven't been using your crutch this morning. No? What made you think of the crutch? Oh, nothing. A blunt instrument, huh? That's all right, Varney. I don't mind your asking. I was thinking along the same lines myself. Only it was the keen instrument I had in mind, say a scalpel. Now, now look here. Skip it, Varney. I was just making conversation. Oh. You know, there's uh, something I, I don't understand. Yes, Varney? I, uh... Yes? Uh, well, uh, nothing. Nothing at all. Nothing uh-huh. at all. I know what you want to ask. You want to know who was the third man. Well, I... I'll show you, Varney. Uh, where are my keys? Yeah. What have you got in that closet? A guest, Barney. Shall I say, an invited guest? 
You can come out now, George. The coast is clear. Oh, thought you meant to bury me alive in there. Tell, who's this man? Dr. Varney, George Monk. Shake hands, gentlemen. Oh, no? Very well. I, um, I thought it would be right for all three of us to be together for a moment. You're talking about Martell. Listen carefully, Mar- uh, Varney, and you, George. Each one of us was in her room last night. The cumulative effect of our individual deeds has convinced the inspector that a maniac murdered my wife. But we three know better. However, there is one of us who knows more than the other two. One of us killed her first. I say first because the other two were not one whit less murderers for the fact that she was already dead. The three of us. We all did it. Yes, George. And I suppose that by checking each other and comparing notes, we could determine to the satisfaction of all of us just who took precedence. For instance... When I heard you move about in the closet this morning and turn the key on you, I had no way of telling how long you'd been in the house. And I don't want to know. Then two of us will always be in doubt. Exactly, Barney. Do you agree to it? Yes. And you, George? Yes. Then, goodbye, gentlemen. have brought you Lucille Ball, a star of A Shroud for Sarah. Tonight's study in Suspense. This is Truman Bradley for Roma Wines, the sponsor of Suspense. When unexpected guests make a mealtime call, well, anything can happen. Famed hostess Elsa Maxwell makes this timely suggestion. Invite them to stay for potluck and make the dinner exciting by serving Roma California Burgundy. For no matter what the dish, the fruity fragrance and piquant taste of robust red Roma Burgundy makes the food so much more enjoyable, adds friendliness to the table talk. That's right. Glassfuls of good Roma Burgundy served cool makes any simple meal more exciting, more delicious. But don't wait for unexpected guests. Try Roma Burgundy with dinner tomorrow. You'll enjoy this Bentner's masterpiece. Like all Roma wines, this is wine at its best in uniform quality, yet costs only pennies a glass. Always insist on Roma wines. No other wine offers you so much for so little. Next Thursday, you will hear Ronald Coleman in Suspense, radio's outstanding theater thrill. Presented by Roma Wines, R-O-M-A, made in California for enjoyment throughout the world. There is an immediate need in most hospitals for auxiliary non-nursing personnel. Approximately 90,000 men and women must be recruited if hospitals are to provide patients with even minimum services. The present critical lack of hospital workers of all kinds is substantially reducing the amount of nursing care per patient because nurses must spend so much of their time on non-professional tasks. Although the need varies in different sections of the country, There is an overall need for orderlies, laundrymen, chefs, electricians, plumbers, janitors, and so forth. Men and women, both skilled and unskilled, who want to work in a hospital in any capacity, can now get secure, well-paid jobs with a post-war future. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.
That was A Shroud for Sarah on an episode of Suspense here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. I'm Joshua. All right. Well, uh, that was uh, really fun for a lot of reasons. (laughs) Uh, Just so, I know we've said this before, but just in case you might be a new listener, we send these to each other. We don't comment to each other before we record. Joshua sent this to me and said, this is the one I'm doing. I listened to it. So right now... Uh, is the first time Joshua's going to hear anything about my opinion of this. And we don't tell anybody anything about what we're sending them. So I just sat down and started listening to this. And when the announcer said, starring Lucille Ball, I was like, yeah, (laughs) sweet. This is going to be super fun. Uh, And uh, I thought as it went along that I kind of wish I wasn't told ever it was Lucille Ball because I kept hearing Lucille Ball. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, I don't think I would have recognized her voice had I not been told it was Lucille Ball. So consequently, there are moments where I expect that wacky Lucille Ball to come out <laughs> yeah. in the middle of some scary moment. Like, oh, Ricky, you know. But she's kind of dark Lucy. As yeah, in she's, she's still yeah. a conniving no, wife in it. So it's kind of funny. <laughs> it's great. She's just, if Lucy murdered everybody right. in sight. <laughs> But it was fantastic. And if you, if we didn't know Lucille Ball as how we know her, we would say that was a really great performance. But these were the roles she was known for. I mean, maybe not this harsh, but she was known as this harder female character in a lot of her B-movies. Yeah. She would either play that or often the sort of uh, down-and-out wannabe starlet character, too, mm-hmm. in a lot of these B-movies. Did mm. she start... Zigfield Follies. She was in, yes, uh, uh, she was in a film version of it. That's what I mean. Yeah. Her first film was a Zigfield Follies, and it's just for a few seconds, I thought. Yeah. She's also in a Marx Brothers film, uh, Room Service. That's right. Yeah. Well, I, I found this to be a really great mystery. I enjoyed the performances a lot. I love the ending a lot. So, Joshua, I know it's suspense, so it's awesome, but why'd you pick this? You already talked a little about uh, Lucille Ball, and I, I, I had this episode in a set when I was young and it was a suspense set that really emphasized a lot of celebrities that were still known or I guess when I had this box set Lucille Ball was still alive Um, and so suspense traditionally even when stars at the time were known as comedians would cast them as killers and murderers at this point in 1945 uh, Lucille Ball wasn't known as a comedian yet but they also did episodes with Jack Benny um, Danny Kay is that correct yep Danny Kay George uh, Carlin a really great one with Ozzy and Harriet, <laughs> a really depressing oh, really? suspense with them. Yeah, so that really? was kind of their shtick with comedians. But at the time I listened to this as a kid, I just knew Lucille Ball from I, I Love Lucy. So that enough is a hook for me. But then this particularly has so many twists. And mm-hmm. It is such a nice reversal of the usual gender roles, pretty much starting in that opening mm-hmm. scene with George the ex-con yeah, all the that ro- immediate betrayal of him. Yeah, the, A, the betrayal, but even before that, it's really flipped, as in she is the one who is directing all the action. She's she, calm. She's calm. She's asking him all the questions, and he's really weak and vulnerable. He Correct. just keeps going back to... And a little I, excited. Uh, and, yeah, I missed you. I can't believe you're still here. He's so vulnerable to the point that he, it's a little uncomfortable when he's like, I'm smelling your hair, and he's like, I can't believe you're still with me and still here. And so... I find I found that super engaging, and then she betrays him, and then we go immediately to this twist where we find out the what governor's... she's been up to. Yeah. Yeah, 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 she's married to this guy who's running for governor, and she shot him in the leg under mysterious circumstances. <laughs> and you're like five minutes in, going, "What is going on?" I like the <laughs> little little parenthetical. 
without going into too much explanation, which you're probably going to want, my grandparents, uh, also married couple, were one shot the other. <laughs> okay. Did not end the marriage. Uh, by accident? No. Oh. <laughs> They're wow. from Oklahoma. <laughs> oh, right. That's just how you settle things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want to learn a lot more about this, Tim. <laughs> but let's go back to the episode. <laughs> I like the reveal, the slow trickle of information. The way we got explained, first of all, they didn't say, well, you know, you remember when you shot me in the leg by accident, but everybody thinks, you know, there was no exposition like that. It was natural conversation. So consequently, it's revealed to us naturally and in a real way yeah, they have that to he got shot. Dig for that. Right. The, that she's the governor's wife she's, or, yeah. or about to be. Angling for it. Angling for it. That they're not getting along. All of the things that are revealed to us are through very natural dialogue and small details and small we details. we learn that he's upset about his leg when he's moved the radio it's a very domestic thing like oh i see you moved the radio and he's like yeah because i i have this crutch because you shot me <laughs> <laughs> but he doesn't even say it he doesn't then. say it that, yeah. that explicitly it's not till but... she's on the stairs with the gun pointed at him that we find out that uh, he was shoot shot me again yeah yeah oh he says then shoot me dear you do it so well. I just love the dry <laughs> great, sarcasm of Peter. And it's a great reveal to us. Like, oh, that's what's wrong yeah. with him. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to perhaps surprise you with I have a little bit of push-pull with this episode. In that I acknowledge like how incredibly well every aspect of this is put together technically. Of The script is so perfect. The performances are so good. And they all come together. And the, the, as I was trying to chew on, I'm like, what is this reaction I'm having? The train is moving so smoothly, I sometimes feel like it's not moving to me. These characters, are that's this perfect sort of blend in my head of Chandler and Agatha Christie, of these sort of despicable characters in this perfect plot. And that as it goes, I'm admiring it, but I'm not necessarily emotionally attached mm-hmm. to it. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's what I like about it. I mm-hmm. totally understand there's not a likable character in this entire thing. It is all an intellectual exercise listening to it. You're not emotionally invested in everybody. Yeah. Even Peter claims to have some sort of moral virtue, but he at the end just ar- arranges <laughs> for her to be murdered. He doesn't turn her over to the police for justice. Well, no, he's a politician. Yeah. No, of course he doesn't have any more. <laughs> he's a, he's, he's like a 30% out. chance he's a murderer. Yeah. You're, <laughs> you're in a story where the most likable character is a politician. So you know. <laughs> right. You are not supposed to invest in these guys emotionally. And I, yeah, I, I totally hear what you're saying. And it kind of depends on what you're looking for in, in a story. This one is so stylish and the performances are so good. I enjoy it as that sort of admiring from a distance. Mm-hmm. It is so about the mechanics of the story that when all of the pieces are in place for all of Sarah's betrayals, her death is so inevitable that they just cut away, skip yeah. over the murder, and go to the police taking her body out. Right. You, she goes from a conversation with Dr. Varney to she's dead and being taken out of the house. And I, I really admire that kind of storytelling. That's the thing is I think intellectually I recognize how much skill it takes to put this story together but because they make it look easy, I think emotionally, like, eh, that just looks easy. <laughs> like, I know it's not, but they make it look I think, like it though, is. That's kind of the allure for me is that it's such a perfect plan and they're making it look so easy that you're just kind of waiting for the train to leave the tracks. Yeah. And when it does, when he takes out the ad in the paper, which is the only part I have an issue with, the ad he took out in the paper. Wasn't that cryptic? <laughs> Pretty see-through. <laughs> it wasn't like a like a Da Vinci seventeen thousand reasons. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, I got it. 
you're looking for that guy, George. But I also love the ending of this. And I said that at the beginning of this. I love that it goes wrong for her, but there's a happy ending for the three guys that got manipulated by her. Yeah, but they're not good guys, though, too. I think if they were the good guys in this or had been portrayed honorably, it would have kind of a sour note of three guys getting together to kill this woman. (laughs) Because you have no emotional involvement in it, like, Tim was saying, you have this distance. It's purely a puzzle, and it seems like yeah. the inevitable consequences of actions. It would be um, different if the three of them got together and, like, we all hate her. Let's figure out a way to kill her. But no, they figured out after the fact, like, we all showed up to kill her. Well, it seems like Peter manipulated the other two to mm. a certain extent, or at least George, the ex-con. And I wonder, in legitimate law, would the person who did the killing blow first be the only person who was no. guilty? No, just so you know, no. Yeah. Uh, because I've watched a lot of Law and Order. <laughs> okay. <I'm sorry. laughs> tell us, Professor Law and Order. I tell you that no, uh, and I can't give you quotes or exact data. I know, though, that even though someone's dead, if you try to kill them, if you don't know they're dead, you still are culpable. But is that attempted murder or actual murder? Good question. Because the attempt is bound to fail if they're dead. I think it's murder because your intent was, even though you didn't know. And it could change state to state, too. And let's be honest, I'm watching Law & Order from the 90s. (laughs) So uh, things could have changed. But obviously, advanced 21st century murder and attempted murder. Peter's playing on that at the end. It's like, do you really want to bring this up in a court of law? Do you want to really explore these nuances, gentlemen? Or do we want to just all keep quiet? I would assume that there's something to... (laughs) Just one of the three of us, probably George, killed her. (laughs) I would assume there's something to the idea, though, the time that this is recorded, that maybe that was how it worked. That's yeah. why they wrote it in there that way. If someone's dead and you shot them, then nothing's going to happen to you. Well, I think uh, more likely they're riffing on other fictional mystery conclusions. I mean, this is very much a riff on, spoilers, Murder yeah. on the Orient <laughs> Express, uh, that everybody did it trope. Here, the subversion is that the people who did it were as much killers as the victim. Yeah, like Orient Express light, about a third of the characters. <laughs> <laughs> Although the police, again, like in all old-time radio, are pretty lackadaisical. They're just like, well, a maniac must have done it. They were Let's stop investigating. Clearly. Uh, choked to death, bludgeoned, stabbed. I'm done. <laughs> if we're, we're led to believe by re-listening and re-watching things from this era that there was, uh, in each town, a crime once a year. <laughs> Everybody was pretty good. and Everybody was well-behaved, and this is pretty rare. But you you go all the way back to Sherlock Holmes or Edgar Allan Poe before that, and that's part of this mystery genre, is the assumption of police being idiots. Right. Much farther back than the 1940s. Bumbling police. Yep. Keystone cops. It's a good trope, that and what, the bumbling Nazi trope. Right? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's vote. Tim, let's start with you. What do you think of this? I acknowledge it is a classic. Like I say, it is a beautiful machine of combining Christie, Agatha Christie, and Chandler. I thought of sort of hard-boiled characters in this really well-constructed plot. And I can just heap praise upon praise on it, and then I'll qualify with, uh, but it, it left me a little distant, which that's the way it's designed. But I think it's well done uh, all the way through. I think it's a really great episode of suspense i thought it was well written uh interesting to listen to not so scary 
but suspenseful. It, it was suspenseful. I didn't know what was going to happen next. It was twist upon twist. Right. I love the twist upon twist. I would say, considering the acting and everything else, I would say I'd call this a classic. Yeah, and I definitely want to give praise to Lucille Ball because I like I'd like to help her career out if I can. Yeah, let's just promote her. <laughs> She's going places. <laughs> that one. But just to say, like that performance is chilling. Like yeah. she's a scary lady. I definitely think it stands the test of time for sure. It's hard because I I feel like I'm looking at it in the category of suspense stories, and because suspense has such a high bar. What's great about this is this is a fantastic old time radio show, but suspense is so good that I don't know that it quite hits for suspense. Right, uh, mm-hmm. an all time classic, but it stands the test of time. It's really good. Good one. Bears re listening to. It's a good one to give someone who's never listened to old-time radio. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. Well, there you have it. This is the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. And if you want to learn more, Tim, what can they do? They can go to ghoulishdelights.com. There you'll find old episodes of this podcast. We have many, and there's lots of different sorts of stories to hear. Uh, you'll also find out about the live shows we do. We perform live versions of classic old radio stories out in the world. And we have information about that at ghoulishdelights.com. You can also go to iTunes and write a little review of our podcast. If you're enjoying it, please let the rest of the internet know that fact. It really helps us. It helps us get new listeners. So thank you for everybody who's already written a review. Do I have the next one? Yes. Yes. (laughs) All right, good. Well, next week we are going to do a request from one of our listeners. Uh, And we're going to do something from uh, a show called Beyond Midnight and an episode called The Man Who Sold His Soul. Until next time. Look out!